Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant by the gift of that same Spirit, we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is Holy Mary, Mother of God, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to the Saint Joseph. Pray for us, Saints Joachim and Anne. Pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, this is a test in so many ways. Um, I've told a lot of people uh, in almost 17 years of priesthood, the idea of a big flyer with the word porn in my picture underneath it was not exactly the goal. Uh, although I've told one or two people since then, if you think of porn in my picture under it, that might be a cure. Uh, um, And as you've heard announced, this was not a talk, obviously, I had planned to give. And so, by the grace of God, whatever comes here, we'll take it with the Spirit. Normally, CEO talks are two things. One, their personal testimony. Two, the CEO team does an incredible job of prep work with the people who talk. Me having agreed to talk to this a week ago, my prep work, obviously, is more limited. Um, but it would be unfair to not do any personal te testimony because, uh, well, and it's worth going backwards in time a little bit. I did this with Ron a little, a little bit yesterday as we were doing some prep. When we think of porn anymore, we think about internet porn, huh? Let's be honest. That's pretty much taken over because of easy accessibility and among many, many other things. In fact, internet porn has, has not killed, but almost killed all the other forms. Um, and the, th the thing about it is the internet's not that old. It's not that old. I can tell you exactly about when the internet started up. It started up when I went to college. My freshman year, I, I went to college in, in the fall of 1991. Um, and that's about the time the internet started. And for kids, who, people younger than me, you may think this is weird or odd, but to use the internet at that time, you had to go to a computer lab where you didn't have computers in your rooms. There was a computer lab on the college campus. That's where you would go type your papers. And if they had internet access, that's where it was. It was at the computer labs. It's one, that's where the computers were, and two, internet was new. And very few, I mean, you know, people were just playing with it. It didn't take long, however, for the porn industry to get going on it. From, from that fall of 91, by the time I was about halfway through major theology, it takes, and so about 1997, we'll say, because I can't remember the exact year. Uh, could have been 98, could have been 96. But when I was in major theology at St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore, about halfway through, We had, they, they'd have a one-day seminar and something, and they already picked as the one-day seminar topic, internet porn. Think about this. Less than 10 years from the start of the internet. And already at that time, 10% of all sites were porn sites. It didn't take long. And we think it's easy access now. It was even easier access when it first started. There was no regulation of anything, as happens with most things when they first start up. And they already were getting priests and religious that were having to go away for addiction already in the late 90s. Um, Not to mention other people. That's why they took a whole day, and the whole day seminar that they chose for that year was internet porn. It's stunning. 
And they said, for those who suffer from this addiction, from porn, and, and it needs to be distinguished. There are people who simply, because of lust, they go visit porn sites, huh? And there are those who get truly addicted, like any other addiction. And they have all the signals of addiction. They get aggravated if they can't get it. They spend hours and hours a day. That's all they think about. You know, it becomes dominant. You understand the difference here, huh? But for those who get into this as, as an internet porn addiction, it is brutal. Because it actually combines two or three addictions in one. It combines, obviously, the addiction to sex. But it also combine, takes that and adi- adds it to the addiction to gambling. You think, gambling, Father? Yeah, well, now think about it. You're going through websites or images. It's like, that doesn't excite me, that doesn't excite me, that doesn't, that one does. Miss, 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 hit. Miss, 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 hit. Like gambling, huh? And also, just like gambling, some of you may have visited a casino, and when you go into a casino, everything's dark except for the games. What happens when you sit with your computer at night or, you know, in your own room? Everything else is dark except for this. And what they already found by the year 2000 is that what was, was, that's what was happening with internet porn addiction. It was combining these two addictions into one and being mentally brutal to try to break, where people could literally spend four hours like that, six hours like that. Um, Already by the year 2000. I mean, that's why I say what we're dealing with here, while the internet is not that old, you know, started in 1990, 1991, Here we are, we're in the year 2017, less than 30 years old. And from the beginning, this has been a problem that we have not dealt well with. We have not dealt well with as a society. Um, Excuse me, sorry about that. Um, As I've told others, if a lung falls out, leave it on the floor, I will pick it up before I go. Um, That's also going to be helpful at the question and answer period. Ask a question I don't know. Oh, look at the time. It's time to go. Uh, Now, I did say normally CEOs do have some personal sharing. I'm not going to do a lot, but can I say as a single man that I've never been stung by this? I can't say that. In all honesty, I can't say that. Can I say that even as a priest, I was never stung by this? I can't say that. If I'm going to be honest, I can't say that. When you're a single guy and you're alone, and like I say, your cell phone is, cell phone or computer is right there and there's nobody else there. I can't say that I've been perfect. I don't, (laughs) I'm not going to lie, huh? I can say by the grace of God, by the sheer grace of God, um, yeah, I, I'm not addicted. I can say by the sheer grace of God, no, I, and only by His grace, and only by His grace, there's any number of sins I haven't committed, huh? Um, uh, only by His grace, and maybe at times the lack of opportunity, <laughs> we never know. Um, but I can only imagine being a 15-year-old kid today and being given a smartphone. You know, for those, of a, for those who are my age or older, can you imagine where you would have gone if you were 15 years old and given one of these things and said, oh yeah, you've got unlimited text and data? The smartphone, it, it's, it's uh, exactly as Vatican II said in Gaudium, Gaudium et Spes, technology is wonderful and it can and it's there and it can bring out the best and it can bring out the absolute worst the absolute worst and in this case what we're talking about tonight is the absolute worst just some stats i've already given you a couple of them it is still true to this day actually 10 to 12% of all websites are porn sites 
That's a huge number. Even more so, of all content, things that come up on the screen in any way, shape, fashion, or form that has reference to porn or influenced by porn, 50% of everything that goes through. Um, Huge numbers. Huge numbers. Of people who go to work, somewhere between 15 to 20% of people who are at work admit looking up porn while they're at work. That doesn't mean they're using the work computers to do it, got cell phones and things. Um, uh, a huge, huge number, 70% of Americans would admit they, they have some form of a porn, ad, you know, have looked it up. Massive number. Now, and it's, it is dispute. I've looked at different sites for this. Average age, youngest age of exposure. So I looked at one site, said 11. Another site said 10. Another place I looked up said 8. Age 8. The reason that is horrible and terrible, the number one first offense we have against this stuff is innocence. And once you lose, and they do have the numbers on that, once you lose innocence, the younger someone is exposed to this, and like really exposed to this, the chances of them being promiscuous at a younger age go skyrocketing up. The number one place that the average teenager right now, when they're curious about matters of sex, they go to porn sites. They don't go look at books, they don't come ask somebody, they go to porn sites. If they want to know what sex is, that's where they go. Can you imagine, again, people my age and older, if that's where you went to get your idea of of physical intimacy? Um, Yeah, this is a, and needless to say, yes, this is screwing people up. They know, for those who truly get more addicted to porn, or the more porn you watch, it literally shrinks parts of your brain. It literally shrink, shrinks parts of your brain. The parts of your brain that, that, that register pleasure shrink, meaning you have to watch more and more to keep the reaction. It also shrinks the part of your brain that deals with empathy for others. Think about that. So people who look up have a harder time being empathetic for the suffering of others. And needless to say, the idea of marriage just goes, just disappears when your whole idea of physical intimacy is whatever you see on these sites, which isn't that real. It just isn't. You've got people making noises that I don't think every married couple makes, huh? and doing things that I don't think every married couple does. Um, and obviously always angling to the camera and always, you know, enhanced in every possible way. Can you imagine if that's what you keep seeing, and this is your a picture of, of physical intimacy of the marital act, and then you try to get married someday, and it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. Or your partner doesn't want to do that stuff. What do you do? And also, huge number, 60%, 70% of lawyers who deal with divorces say, number one, the internet played a part, like 65%, 60, the internet played a part of the divorce, and half of those said internet porn was part of that, which means about 35% of all divorces, this is part of it. Not always on the guy's side. Yes, men look at it. It's about a two-to-one ratio in terms of who's watching. But women are watching that frequently. For every two guys, there's one woman out there. And it affect, obviously, they, we think we process intimacy a bit differently. It's affecting them differently and in negative ways. Huh? 
Um, because for many of them, why get married after you get into this? You know? For a great many of them. Um, that's just going through some numbers off the top. There's lots and lots and lots more. Um, oh, I should... And, I mean, why does it keep trucking along? I should have mentioned this. It is the number one. If you take all of the porn, if you take prostitution and everything together, all the porn industry together as one lump, it by far is the number one money-making industry in the world. $100 billion annually. Over 10, probably around 12 billion of that in the United States alone. And that doesn't count, by the way, for all the free sites, which are the hooks. They do the free sites, and then they try and get you to pay for the other stuff. Um, uh, excuse me. Sorry, every, every once in a while I have to stop a leak. Uh, uh. Um, no, the money involved in this is massive. Is, 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 is that, that 10 to 12 billion dollars here in the United States is more than ABC, CBS, and NBC make every year combined, to put that in perspective. It's more than our major media co companies combined make annually. And that's just, that's just in the United States. Um, uh, the money coming through this is massive, is massive. Um, uh, and it's actually only getting worse. I haven't seen stats. I have to think it's only going to make it, because what happens is they know if you get, again, with the addiction, your brain actually engages the screen like you are there. That's what happens mentally. Again, destroying other situations that are real. But we haven't accounted for this within the last two, three, five years. What's been the newest technology with video games? 3D. And there's 3D porn out there. So if your mind is already substituting reality virtually, what's going to happen for people who get into that? Um, there aren't stats on that yet. It's too new. It's only been around for about five years. Um, I know, this is such a happy topic. Um, it can be. I mean, the whole idea is the marital act and the whole idea is supposed to be because it's supposed to be what's the key, what's the bottom rock line underneath all of this and I, I've done talks at the men's conference. I've done talks with teenagers. Underneath all of it, if there was one slogan I wish I could put up on every billboard around the world that just kind of is, is the slogan that counteracts all of this, is sex is sacrifice. This is, if you want to know our teaching in a nutshell, that's it. Love is sacrifice. This is that not what we teach those of us who are Christians who try to embrace the cross, God willing, huh? Love is sacrifice, therefore the marital act is supposed to be sacrificial. If it's supposed to be an act of love. That's the goal. And remember, the marital act is supposed to be the place of union. If you've got two baptized people, Christian sacrifice. And then procreation. Union, procreation, and sac Christian sacrifice in one act. By the way, this is why I believe God made it feel good, because the spiritual side of it was so powerful, the body had to rejoice. There's a reason why we function the way we do. There are spiritual reasons why we function the way we do. Uh, and that's why... The whole goal of uh, the, we were made for love. 
not lust. We were made for love, and love is sacrifice. This is ultimately, when we're talking about marital intimacy, it is supposed to be a joyful topic. The marital act is supposed to be an epitome of love because it's an epitome between the, a man and a woman of total self-sacrifice for the whole of their lives in individual moments and for the total. Um, and that's what love is supposed to be. Hmm? And this is exactly, think about what we just, everything I just talked about, we're talking about the polar opposite. It's not love, it's lust. It's not love, it's lust. One of the seven deadly sins. Hmm. This is really what we're talking about in our current culture in the United States, but we can really say throughout the world, I don't care where you go. This is a chronic problem wherever you go throughout the world, with the exception maybe of places like North Korea where literally porn is illegal, punishable by death. Um, so if you want to go to a porn-free state, there you go. Um, um, I'll go to North Korea. Um, But we, have, we live in a worldwide culture of lust unhinged. That's what we really live in, if we're honest. And it's not new. It's been going that way since the, well, you can trace it to lots of things, um, but exploding in the sexual revolution of the late 60s, early 70s. And it's been just lust unhinged and more unhinged and more unhinged ever since but it's lust unhinged. Meanwhile, we're all human beings, and like I say, we're not built for lust unhinged, we're built, f we desire love unhinged. We desire love unhinged. And we're being, if you wanna know, I mean the whole, t the, the title of my talk, which I found out when I saw the flyer, um, <laughs> Exposing the reality behind the fantasy of pornography. That's the fantasy. That's the fantasy that somehow this is love. It's not. It's lust. The reality is we desire love. And that somehow the lust fills the hole for the love. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And again, if you go through the statistics, it, people who get really addicted or this is the way they go, it leads to more self-destruction and more self-destruction. And I should also say, for those who, again, who are looking for that hit, 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 and miss, and they're look, and they're, or miss, 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 hit, miss, 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 hit, and they're constantly looking for that next fix, where does it naturally take you? To more violence. I mean, yeah, to more intense, which always, always means rougher, more violent, not more loving actions that they have to see. Huh? It's self-destructive, as is any sin. When you let it play out its circle, it's always self-destructive. Th the, the fantasy is that that is somehow love. It's not. It's raw lust. It's raw lust. We're built for love. Uh, talk to Father Sam, who comes down from Divine Word and does counseling here uh, on Thursdays at, graciously at little to no cost for those who need it. And he, he's got a doctorate in psychology, and, um, and, he met, and I had heard this before, but he reminded me to say this. One of, the great cure, one of the great steps to cures for those, especially for those who are addicts to this, is they often are lacking in relationships. Again, we're built for love. And as soon as you start to heal relationships around them, whether it's family, friends, needing you know, intimate friendships or whatever it is, you start to heal relationships. And it, you know, like I say, it's not just add water, that's something that it all disappears, but it helps tremendously. Once you add more real love, personal sharing, once you start adding some of that back in, it's amazing how the, other, the desire for lust lessens. It lessens. 
Um, yeah, it's <laughs> in so many ways, it's not rocket science in terms of what fixes that, that desire for lust is one, make sure our relationships are healthy with others. And if we have holes with family, with friends, with needing intimacy, uh, you know, interper interpersonal intimacy, that's the first place we, we should look. That's true for almost any sins, huh? Where are we not doing our relationships right with God and with others? And I would say, yeah, for those who are looking for cure, prayer helps, authentic prayer helps too. There are any number of devotions that are designed for purity. There's an old devotion, old devotion for purity of doing three Hail Marys every morning that people have had success with for, I think, centuries. It's been around for a long time. One thing I do is I have a, Saint, I like St. Philomena. We have a statue to St. Philomena out here. She's a saint of miracles. And there's a, one of the devotions to her is a cord you wear for purity. I've worn St. Philomena's cord for years now. I couldn't get the smallest size. They have them sized. You have to get the size that fits you. Um, I don't know why people find that funny that I can't wear the smallest size. But, um, but you wear it like the scapular, huh? And underneath your overshirt and over your T-shirt. And but you wear it for purity as a spiritual devotion. There are any not Mary devotions to the Blessed Virgin. She is the champion over the evil one. In particular, like any mom would be, where we're plagued by impurity, huh? You need help, you go to her. Whether it's devotion to her with the rosary, the miraculous medal, the scapular, I wear one of those too. I mean, but any number of the Marian devotions, go to Mary. You want a spiritual warrior to help you with this? She's the one. She is the one among others. But any particular devotion to saints, there's many saints, they're champions of purity, male and female. Um, and any devotion to them, it actually, why do I, because it helps. I don't advertise any one of the, sometimes people do one of these things and it like helps 95% and that's great. For most people, it's like, if you struggle with one of the, it's like, I need this and this and this and this. It's, I don't advertise any one thing as a magic pill. Um, but how do you overcome lust, whether addiction or not addiction, how do you overcome lust? day to day. Well, there's a couple of, th again, prayer. Think of what the things we do in Lent. Prayer and fasting. Saf sacrificing stuff. Fasting is really not just for Lent. Hmm? Jesus didn't say, if you fast during Lent, in the passage in St. Matthew's Gospel. No, he just says, when you fast. Uh, it's supposed to be part of our regular weekly routine is to fast, believe it or not, for those who are able. Not everyone is able, but for those who are able, if you can, we are supposed to be doing that. Weekly fasting, weekly abstaining. And it doesn't, it's not always of food. Fasting can be from TV. It, there's all, kinds, there's all kinds of disciplines. Sometimes exercise is the discipline. There's lots. I've had other priests tell me when they got their exercise discipline right, it helped with their spiritual life so much. Um, yeah, any one, why is that? Any way we use discipline, I, I've often recommended that to fast for people. St. Therese of Lisieux, when she was a child, had this little cord with seven beads on it. And it was to do seven little sacrifices a day. And so you'd keep it in your pocket. And you'd, I mean, you'd, you know, you'd go second or last in line. You'd take water instead of lemonade. Do seven little sacrifices a day. And she was doing that from a li wee little child. She had this little cord doing these seven sacrifices a day. And you'd move the bead, you know, another bead down your cord. Um, and you say, well, why does, like, 
fasting from food help me with lust? Or why does fasting with this discipline help me with that? Because our souls echo either our discipline or they echo our lack of discipline to the other areas of our life, if that makes sense. So if you're trying to, if you're doing little sacrifices and little disciplines, that echoes, and then all of a sudden you hit the area where you need to discipline, and you've got these other echoes already going on, and it actually is easier because you're in a habit of discipline and sacrifice. Contrarywise, you start to lose control of some part of your life, like, yeah, I just can't stop eating chocolate. It's just good. Um, and that will echo to other parts of your life in the other way. <laughs> Um, when we start to lose control on something. Just, but I give that as, as little help. Not, I don't usually demand, I don't demand that as penance, but often in the confession I'll, get, I'll give that as an aid. Just if you're trying to get on top of a passion, whether it's anger or lust, fast. Do little sacrifices. Do things that start that echoing of discipline in your life that echoes through your soul. Um, Regarding, uh, yeah, and like I've already mentioned prayer, regarding internet porn in particular, or it, try not to be alone with the computer. Always be in a public spot. Now, yeah, if you have a smartphone, that's sometimes hard, but if it's a matter of a computer, you can drop the computer in your house in a very public place, you know, if you've got family life. Um, you can put it in a place, even if you live by yourself, where you open the, I don't know, open the door if you're in an apartment building with friends, but you, you go someplace where it's not so easy. You know, when you know somebody could walk by, it's amazing the things we won't do. Hmm? You know, if you know somebody's going to walk by, you're not going to pick your nose. Um, you know somebody's going to walk by, you're not going to belch, you know. You put yourself in that position, in, including with this, that you purposely put yourself in the position where you are not, you know somebody could walk by. Or some, especially for those who have families, it's easier to do. Make sure the computer's always in a public place. Um, uh, I'm sorry. That'll sound wonderful on the recording. Uh, <laughs> Father Chris's body sounds, part two. Uh, um, um, but one of my main things that I recommend to people when they're struggling, because the, the problem with lust in general is that Unlike food, food you got to be in the kitchen or you got to be in the grocery store in the restaurant. You got to be where the food is if you have trouble eating too. When it comes to lust, you only need you. You know, uh, you, it's one of the seven deadly sins we carry around with us. So, what do you do when temptation hits? The thing that I have found that works for me, and I think it works for others if we remember to use it. And this is true, actually, of you, you have to treat it like an addiction. So it doesn't matter if it's addiction or non. You fall on your knees. You grab a crucifix. You're carrying your rosary with you. You're all carrying your rosary with you. Um, you pull that out with the cross. You fall on your knees and you beg for mercy. I mean authentically beg for mercy. You're near church. You, you come in and you beg before God for mercy. You stay really, really small. Like when you really screw up, if you've ever really screwed up, you know how small you feel. You feel like an ant, like a slime slug, huh? You stay there. So many times you go to confession and say, oh good, that's over. And what that sets up is next thing you know you're falling and you're back in the confessional the next week. And I'm happy to receive you because I'd rather stay busy. But um, um, but in all honesty, when we leave the confessional, it should not be okay, now I'm okay. 
No, stay small. It's one of the easiest and biggest mistakes we make after confession is that now I'm not, I'm not that little piece, you know, I'm not that little tiny turd anymore. And the truth is, I need to stay, that humble, where I, when I fell, and I fell so awful and I'm so small, that's actually where I need to stay. That's where God hears my prayers so much better. He doesn't need me great. I've said to lots of people, he did not give me an S on my chest and a cape. Hmm? He needs a small. How many times do we read that in the scriptures? It's to the brokenhearted and to the poor that he hears their prayers. I think sometimes, sometimes, including with this stuff, why does God let us fall? Because sometimes I wonder if he can't hear us better after we fall than before. Because we get small and humble afterwards. And before we're kind of cocky. I'm so good now. You forgave my sins and now I'm great. That's not why I forgave your sins. Yeah, stay small. Stay humble. Stay poor. As small as you can be, begging for mercy. You can throw in with that a thanksgiving offered as a sacrifice because it hurts. And so you offer it as a sacrifice, even saying, thank you, God, for this sacrifice. And then you go back into saying, please, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, help me. And I almost guarantee if you do that authentically for 30 seconds to a minute, God will mentally or otherwise show you the way out. Now you have to get up and walk through that door, which is the next step. But he will, if, we, if we're small and humble and authentically beg for mercy, he will... He'll get us, he'll show us the way out. It might be go for a walk. It might be call mom. It might, uh, you know, moms are all saying, oh, yes, that's good advice, Father. Um, uh, but you know what I'm saying, or call a friend. It might be any number of things. It might be the way out. But if you beg for mercy from that humble, small, authentic place for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, grabbing that crucifix, I think God will show you the way out. When we authentically plead, God hears the prayers of the brokenhearted. You stay small and broken and authentically plead for mercy when necessary. Even giving thanks for the trial that you can offer this as a sacrifice, but then going back to begging for mercy, he'll show us the way out. He'll show us the way out. And my, like I say, sometimes it's as simple as leaving the room, going down the hall, you know, uh, sometimes the answers are, are not that far away. Sometimes the answer is, turn it off. Huh? Like I say, the answers often aren't difficult. The answers often aren't difficult. It's just begging authentically for the, and then responding. And then responding. And then, like I say, that's true whether it's addiction or non-addiction. That's how you conquer any of the seven deadly sins is you beg and you stay small. Um, uh, oh, my mind is blanking, so God's probably saying. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, this is, again, it's an unusual CEO in this, in this sense is that because this is a topic people are interested, we're going to do a question and answer. So I'm going to have Ron... Uh, be Mr. Microphone and walk around the room. Um, and you can... Well, you can take it off the stand. Turn it on. There you go. Okay. So, questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in some pla in some states, yes. Could we, could we declare porn il illegal? Yes. And my answer is yes, I think we could. The hang-up has been one very simple thing. It's been a complete misnomer, not like our law system ever has misnomers. <laughs> um, but the, they, they got it hung up, to my understanding, on a kind of a simple issue. You know, and, and the great, what was the definition of porn by what was one of the Supreme Court justices? I know it when I see it. Um, but without defining it. He just says, I can't define it, I just know it when I see it. If you remember, that was in a case many years ago. Um, but in truth, I think you can define porn. And it's very simple. When both the, you treat human beings as objects of lust, and the goal is lust, and all the actions are lust, I think you can declare it to be porn. <laughs> um, uh, and therefore, I think you can make it illegal. Why wouldn't they make it illegal? Because the argument is, well, it's art. Well, now, and see, th where, what happens is, is that instantly, the other side of the argument, people think they have to argue, no, it's not art. That's the wrong argument. It is art. It's evil art. That's the argument. It's not that it's not art, it's evil art. Just like if I had a picture with Hitler looking like a strong man with the swastika and stuff, that would be art if I painted it and, or whatever, but it would be evil art. And you'd say, that's not appropriate, get it out of here. It's evil art. And just like any other human action that's evil, you can make it illegal. It's as simple as that. But the problem is they've polarized us. Rather than arguing whether it's good art or evil art, good, morally good or e morally evil, they get us on this argument whether it's art or not art. That's the wrong argument, but that's usually where the argument has occurred, um, is whether this is art or not. And I admit, yes, it's art. It's just evil art. Just like any human action, you can have good human actions or bad human actions. Um, uh, so yes, I, I very much think you can make this illegal. I absolutely, absolutely think you can. No, no, we don't hear anything about it in politics. I think, to some degree, it may well, it may be coming soon because the dirty underside of this, the one thing that's kind of universally accepted, is that porn with minors and especially kids should be illegal. However, we all know underneath everything that's going on, all these porn sites, there's, there's uh, the dark web. And they, all that stuff is happening. All of it. If you know where to find it, and I don't know how to find it and where to look, but it's all there. Um, and, um, and what you're going to find is the same companies that are doing the one are doing the other. Um, because it's all about fetishes and everything else. And so, yeah, um, in truth, even the stuff that the average, that the average person, average people universally would acknowledge as evil, is all connected. And I would, I would also throw in then, therefore, human trafficking as well, which is largely sex trafficking. And let's admit this, if it's sex trafficking, you're not trafficking adults. Adults can travel. We're talking about minors and kids. And something I did, well, it wasn't directly, but last year, or actually annually, something I only learned a few months ago, annually there's as much, if not more money annually in sex trafficking than there, as there is in illegal drugs, annually. Don't think it's not all linked. Of course it is. Of course, and of course it all can be made illegal. Um, we just... Like I say, we've ar argued ourselves into a quagmire. Um, other question? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father, for uh, your words here tonight. A question that comes up a lot is how do you deal with the shame? You talk uh, about being small. Yeah. Shame, isolates you, Sure. Um, on the one hand, the shame is natural. That's true with any sin. It's probably amplified with this one. 
but, in a, but it's, it's true of any sin. Um, what you don't want is the shame to turn into forms of self-loathing or beating up on yourself, um, thinking now I know I'm completely bound for What happens if you're completely bound for hell? Because if you completely tear into yourself, now I feel bad. Well, I don't want to feel bad, so what am I going to do to make myself feel good? You know where I'm going to go. See what I'm saying? That guilt, not well handled, makes this into a snowball rolling down a hill. Because, and again, what are, are you feel, I'm feeling bad about this sin. What sin? Well, that sin, and you're, what are you doing? You're doing nothing but thinking about what you did and where you're likely going to go back to. Um, again, it becomes snowball rolling down a hill. Um, it's natural to have shame. What is the best way, the best way to stop the snowball? What's the best way to stop any sin from happening? First thing you've got to do is shine light on it which is where, I mean, where, why confession helps a lot. You have to talk to somebody. But if you have a friend, if you, I mean, what, this is what AA does. And there are, obviously, for those who are addicts, there's also Sex Addicts Anonymous and this kind of thing. What it do, and, they always, and they always have buddy systems, you know, that if you're in trouble at any time of day, you can call your buddy. Um, why? The first thing you do is you shine light on it. And as soon as you shine light on it, it looks different. We know that. We know that with any sin. And so the guilt is natural. So don't beat yourself up for, having, for being guilty. Um, so how, Like I say, feeling small is fine. The focus, where should, so the point is, where does the focus need to be? On God, not on me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what? I'm guilty of disobeying and actually hurting you. Look at the cross. He did that for you. Lord, you did, and even right now, I just sinned, and you did that for me, for that sin I just did. I'm sorry I hurt you. See, now it's about him, and it's not about me. Does that make sense? Guilt is fine as long as it's directed toward love of God or others. Um, if, if that guilt becomes self-centered, that's the difference, by the way, between Peter and Judas. Peter grieved because he was, because he, he loved Christ literally with all of his heart, and he realized he had just denied him three times, and he was heart-stricken at what he had done to Christ. Judas was heart-stricken at what he had done to himself and figured he, was, he couldn't redeem himself from it. Couldn't redeem himself from it. And he commits suicide as a result. See the difference? Yeah, it's a matter of direction. The, feeling small is fine. Direct it, cry, God, others. Um, Sure. Well, that's um, yes. Uh, how do you? Because they, yeah, obviously they do lodge because you you're reacting. Like I say, your brain takes it like you're actually there. The way that I found, and the rosary is such a wonderful prayer. But among other things, when you pray and the images hit you, or in day-to-day -day life you're trying to work and the images hit you, you give them to God. What we normally try and do is we try and push them away. It doesn't work. Because it's me trying to push them away and then do this. And what I found for myself years and years ago, there's a great line, Saint, and St. Francis had the same experience where he was wondering, what else, God, what else can I give you? And Christ said, give me your sins. That when the, when the images hit you, give them to God and then refocus. Don't sit and dwell on them. Obviously, that's a wall, you're wallowing in them. But the images hit you mentally that you've seen, so give them to God 
and then refocus. They hit you again, give them to God, and then refocus. Whether you're in prayer or in work or with friends, give that stuff to God and then refocus. And what happens when you do that is you're allowing God to clean you out mentally. And even underneath that, give God the desires underneath that. Give those to God, but then don't, again, don't sit and dwell on them, refocus. And you do that once, and you do that for one, one day, two days, three weeks, three months, six months, and you will suddenly find my mind is not thinking about that stuff anymore, or my desire, if I've been giving my desires, my desires are not functioning the same way, because you're allowing God to get inside here and work on that stuff and clean it out. That is the reason I am convinced sometimes when we're praying, some of these things that we've experienced come up. He's trying to clean us out. Give it to Jesus. Give it to Mary. Say, I, you see it anyway, and I don't know what to do with this, which is honest and true. So you give it to him and then refocus. You don't sit and dwell on it. Just say, here, I don't know what to do with it, and then refocus where you need to be. And again, you do that over and over and over again for weeks and months, and yeah, the the way things work will change. I've had it, I've experienced it myself. I don't know by numbers, but when you said big metropolitan areas, my first reaction was, oh no, it's right here. People would be shocked by how much human trafficking is going on monthly here in Cedar Rapids. I know it. I've seen signs of it. Every once in a while, I talk to somebody who drops a little, you know, just a little bird piece of information in my ear. The average Cedar Rapidian, the average Iowan would be horrified if they knew how much drugs, drug trafficking and human trafficking was going on locally. Pray, 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 huh? Pray, pray, pray. A lot of our, in, you know, our first defense needs to be our innocence, and it's, and we've got people attacking it. So, but no, it's it's going on here a lot. Um, a scary amount. A scary. I don't have numbers, but it's. Um, you had. Yeah. This goes, on one hand, goes back to the shame. On the other hand, I mean, in terms of schools and work, the, the rule is basically not here, nothing here. Um, you, you know, they see anything there and you're instantly in trouble. And this has destroyed lives. How many people, I, I bet if we raised hands, how many people have known a friend or known of someone who's gotten fired because of this at work? I certainly have. I would imagine about at least half the people in this audience, in this crowd have know that. It destroys lives just at work, let alone in family life and with marriages and things. Um, uh, but how do you break the taboo? I, it's, it, I, my, my example is as alcoholism. How does the alcoholic stay clean? They have to wear it on their sleeve. You know, their friends want to go to the bar. They say, I can't go to the bar. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm sorry, I just can't. Or they want to have wine, you know, as a celebration, say, and you, got, you guys go ahead and drink. I can't. I've struggled with that. I'm an alcoholic. I've been clean now for two years or three. But they, you have to wear it on your sleeve. That's the only way you stay clean. And I would say it's kind of the same thing. You say, you know what? I've struggled with that. And I'm trying to stay clean, and I've been clean for two days, two weeks, three months, I don't care. And, and you wear it on your sleeve. That is actually, how do you break the taboo? That's actually the healthy response. Again, you shine light on it um, in a healthy way. And most people will, don't react poorly to that. They, they respect you for admitting on the surface and say, you know, and then give you your... That's true for alcoholism. I think it'd be true for this, too, that if, if for some reason, now I don't know why it would come up work in social conversation, but uh, yeah, um, the only, I mean, in work, 
but in, but in schools or like I say, among friends, that's how you stay on top. That's, if, you, if you really struggle with this, especially as an addiction, that's how, and again, that's another way you stay on top of it, is you have to wear your addiction on your sleeve to some degree. It's not to say you wear it as a sign on your chest, but when things come up, you have to wear it on your sleeve and just admit it publicly, and then people give you your appropriate space. And you say, I've been clean for X number of days and I keep working at it, or years, or months, and people generally have a good reaction with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you seek professional help when it's an addiction. I mean, any, any addiction you seek professional help for. You know it's an addiction if you're lying about it. You know it's an addiction if it's dominating your life. I mean, you're spending hours a day, you know, you think about it all the time. All the normal signs of addiction, just like I was saying, it doesn't, whether it's, whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, all of these things, you're, whether you're always thinking about the next hit, you're always thinking about the next one, yeah, I mean, the, the signs of addiction are pretty universal, actually, and I would imagine, again, if I raised hands, how many people have encountered addiction personally or with friends or family, most of the hands in here would go up of one form or another. You know, um, it's the same. It's but yeah, if you wonder, if, is my friend or family addicted? Yeah, it, are they spend, are spending, again, money, time, um, it's affecting relationships, lying, Lying is always a big one. Um, it's affecting work. You know, it's a, where it starts to radiate out like that, especially on a consistent base, that's an addiction. You know, and, and if you take it away, they get really grumpy. Huh? Um, that's true of all addictions. All, you know, there's, they're, they're pretty standard signs. Um, but lying and affecting other things is usually a... Yeah, uh, they're, stand, they're standard addiction signs, un unfortunately. Uh, yeah, uh, over, way over here. Uh, opposite side. Uh, yeah. Yes, Dr. Ron, I'll take a drink. There are studies, um, not so much for like an average normal person, but for people who already have a tendency toward violence, the violent sex porn amplifies that, just like you're, you're talking about what happened with him. No, they do have studies on that, and for people who are on the fringe who already have violent tendencies, the porn takes that and instantly mag they, those people have problems fast. Um, it doesn't necessarily do that for the average person, but for the person who already has maybe some struggles or some tendencies, it takes those tendencies and instantly magnifies them. Um, so know that what happened with Ted Bundy, they actually do have studies on that, and that is exactly what happens. Um, uh, um, I say, pray, 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 pray. And I should add, to wrap this up, what is the flip 
What is the flip? If we took impurity out, what are we supposed to look like? Women, why can you wear your hair long? Because you're actually supposed to be living temples, living presences of God, and you veil what's holy. Look what's veiled up here. The altar, the tabernacle, the holiest places in the church get veiled. Women, that's why you can wear long hair. You're holy. You're holy temples of God with a sanctuary that you carry around within you. And you're supposed to be And the number one virtue, I should say, out of the Bible, for all women, the number one virtue is modesty. If you go through the Bible from beginning to end, what virtue does it recommend to women the most? It's modesty. By far. Most women say, I want, you know, do you want the guy to see you, your soul, your face? Then, and I, to young girls, I say, then you have to wear clothes that emphasize your face and not the rest. Guys will see what your clothes point to. And I would add to that, guys will marry women who they see their face. They won't marry, they may have fun with, but they won't marry the gals who emphasize everything else. They'll have fun with them, but they won't marry them. They marry the ones who force them to look up make them see their eyes and their smile. Hopefully the women are smiling back. And guys, what are guys supposed to look at? They're supposed to be the defenders. The knights, as it were. Think of chivalry, that if a lady's honor is at all harmed, he steps in and says, no. Then instead of, so you know, the culture we have so often today, of, you know, guys in the street corner looking at a woman and checking her out, it's supposed to be the opposite. You, you step in and you say, you don't do that, and you defend her honor. And you get between her and any attack on her, on her, whether that's coming from inside of her or you. See, my voice is going, so I'm sounding more like Alex Keaton all the time, um, for those who remember who Alex Keaton is. Uh, my, young Michael J. Fox. But... Um, Uh, But that's what guys are supposed to be like. That at any mention that you would be looking at a woman for anything besides her honor, you say no and back off. That's what it means to be a knight, guys. That's what it means to be a knight. And, And especially, and I'm... Sometimes I recommend that to guys. I say, even in their relationships, say whether the e, whether the desire is coming from her or you, you get between the, you know, the snake and her, and you say no. You protect her because she's worth dying for. She's worth dying for. That's what this is supposed to look like. That's what this is supposed to look like. Once. I don't do this anymore, but when I was, I have looked just to say, I need to know what these kids are seeing. And I wept because what you see is the exact opposite of what I just mentioned. Women throwing their status as temples away, and guys, instead of acting as knights, acting as the attackers. That's what porn does. it turns all, again, it turns, takes it from love into lust. But we need to keep that ideal still there. That as men, no, you don't attack women's honor at all. And if you do, I will die before I would let, let her be harmed. Any of them. And women carrying themselves as worth dying for. That's how valuable you are. And they should be carrying themselves like that, that you're worth dying for. Imagine if we have that, and it still can be, but that's the Christian ethic. Imagine if we had that alive in our society, how many problems would get fixed quick. Huh? Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be 
world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you, remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you all.